This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County in Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, 89.3 in Morris Joliet covering much of central Illinois and also northern Illinois, and we're growing thanks to you. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn, and of course, we were gone last week. We had a wedding, and it was a beautiful wedding, and we had a fairly nice day for it as well. And uh, so it's uh, been a couple of weeks since we've been here. Remember, we are always brought to you by you, so if there's anyone out there that would like to make a donation— We will always be glad to take it, and uh, if you would like to make a donation, you can go to our website, and uh, that is catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com. If you want to call us, you can call us at 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. Of course, if you go to our website, you'll find out more information about us and maybe even a part that you can play uh, and helping Catholic uh, Radio that way. So it's still a mad, bad world out there. It really hasn't changed. But again, there are some beautiful things in it, especially uh, the wedding. And maybe we'll talk more about weddings and things to do with weddings in the future. And uh, my wife, Lynn, today is going to start out the program. And she's going to talk about archangels. She's going to talk about Gabriel Raphael and Michael, because uh, it's the Feast of Archangels uh, next week. I think it's uh, Friday the 29th, and uh, it's appropriate to talk about that. So at this time, I'm going to turn the program over to her, and uh, she'll tell us more about uh, Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael, and the role of archangels, and maybe a little bit about the Feast of the Archangels as well. Okay. I'm kind of excited about doing this. I've always had kind of an affinity towards the angels. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the definition of angels, and I'm taking it out of the uh, Didache Bible. It has commentaries in it based on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I really like this Bible. If you want information, it's loaded. The footnotes are extremely well. Almost as good as the Navarre Bible. Let's start with the what angels are. Angels are creatures of God who are purely spiritual. They're personal and immortal creatures whose purpose is to serve God and humanity. Angels are personal beings, meaning that they possess intelligence, have emotions, and are endowed with a free will. They are pure spirits. They have no physical body. They possess perfection greater than any other creature. Angels have been present since creation and have held an important role in salvation history. They sealed off Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve, and they made many appearances throughout the Old Testament as messengers of God. It was an angel who came to the Blessed Virgin Mary to ask her to become the mother of God. That was Gabriel. 
And it was an angel who heralded the birth of the Savior, again Gabriel. Christ was served by the angels, and he will return with all his angels at the second coming. Angels were at the tomb and announced to the women that Christ had risen from the dead. The church and her faithful benefit from the existence and assistance of these angels. St. Thomas Aquinas taught, The angels work together for the benefit of us all. The angels are invoked in our prayers and our intercessions in the liturgy, and they are recognized among the feasts of the liturgical year, which this year falls on Friday, September 29th. The next day, on the 30th, is the Feast of the Guardian Angels. But these are the archangels. There are seven of them. The ones that we're most familiar with are the three, Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael. Angels watch over humanity as a whole, but each individual person does have a personal angel or guardian angel to guide and protect him or her throughout their lives. People's devotion to angels can be found even in the earliest ages of the church. We honor them and ask for their assistance. The church celebrates the feast once a year for the archangels and the three that are named in scripture, which I mentioned, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, are the ones that we know the names of. And you can find the archangel Michael in the Old Testament in Daniel 10.13 and Revelation 12. That's the New Testament, 12.7, and in Jude 9. I didn't know about the one in the book of Jude. Gabriel is found in Daniel 2, and he and Michael have a conversation in that that book. And in uh, Luke, very importantly, Luke 1, 19 through 26, and Raphael is in Tobit. Most of the book of Tobit, he is very active in. The church also commemorates on October the 2nd the holy guardian angels. Christ taught that even children's angels always behold the face of my Father who is in heaven. That's a summary of what angels are. So how does man communicators see these angels? They do. It's very well explained in the book of uh, Tobit. And if you haven't read Tobit in the Bible, you're lucky in a sense that you really need to. And when you do, it's an adventure that you cannot imagine. It's a really good story. It takes place about 722 BC during the Assyrian exile of the people of the northern tribe were taken over by the Assyrians. Raphael, the Hebrew meaning, mean, means God has healed. He is a patron of the blind and adolescents. History in the Old Testament, in the, in the book of Tobit, is where, we're all, where we find this. The story in Tobit is about a young man named Tobias. He's the son of Tobit. And Tobias leaves Nineveh, where they live, under the uh, exile. He leaves and 
in search of a wife among his father's people. They are of the tribe of Nepali, one of those uh, 12 tribes of Israel that you don't really hear too much about. But his father remained very faithful to the Jewish traditions and uh, laws when he was in exile, where the rest of the people almost entirely became worshippers of Baal. But not, not his father, not Tobit. So he sent his son when he was old enough, still a young man. I mean, to- Tobias lived to be 128. So this was in his early, early age. And this is probably why Raphael is the patron of adolescent. I kind of picture Tobias as being maybe 19, 18, 19, when he's sent back to his father's people in Jerusalem to find a wife. The story involves uh, palace in- intrigue, the slaying of a king by his own sons that sent a scribe, sparrows, blindness, a demon, Asmodeus, who was in love with a woman, a human, the death of seven husbands, a long journey of Tobias with a guardian who was actually an angel, a long journey that he took and he was very afraid. He was a young person, as I said. There's a story of a fish, a marriage, a return to Nineveh, and the prophet Jonah, a healing, thanksgiving, and blessings. And the identity is revealed, Raphael's identity. And he says, I am Raphael, one of the seven angels who presents the prayers of the saints. And it enters into the presence of the glory of God, the Father, the Holy One. And he uh, tells Tobias and Tobit that what they have seen was but a vision. He made of, he traveled with uh, Tobit's son, Tobias. He ate with him, oversaw that he was taken care of, and many of his needs were taken care of by this angel, Raphael. It's really an exciting story, and I hope you all read Tobit. It's well worth a read. It's not a really long, but it sure crams in the information. It's really, I just can't tell you how exciting I found it, because I I really like history, and this is... uh, really falls into my realm. The other angel, Gabriel. Gabriel is a Hebrew name, and it means force of God. He's the patron of mail carriers, messengers, ambassadors. Gabriel announced the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus to Mary. The interesting thing about Gabriel is in Daniel, when he was there with Daniel. Remember Daniel foretells uh, the future of the end time, and Gabriel was there, so was Michael. That's another interesting story. There are so many good things in the Old Testament, and people just ignore it. It's all New Testament in their minds. But you can't have the New Testament without the Old and the stories of these people and what they went through, what their mission was, what help they got, is it's just overwhelming. Now, you know that John the Baptist was the last prophet from the Old Testament. That's when the Old Testament is separated from the New, and Gabriel played a big 
part in, th- in that. And then Michael. Michael's another interesting character. Well, they all are. And they've all done quite a bit of work. But Michael is the leader of the celestial ranks. And he is always pictured as a, a warrior with a sword. And sometimes a scale he holds in his hands as they judge the people, uh, the souls. And he conquers... Satan. For that, you look at Revelations 12, chapter 12, tells the whole story of the fall of the the angels and Satan. It's really, uh, you know, very good. Michael was present and he's telling Daniel in Daniel that uh, he was coming to help but got detained by something going on in Persia, and he had to help one of the other angels there before he could get to Daniel. So, you know, the story of the angels, the stories are very good, and they're still very active. Uh, All of these angels are still very active within the church, and the church remembers them in our daily liturgy. So, we say the prayer to St. Michael at the end of Mass nowadays, and uh, that came about in the 1800s. Many Christians learned to treasure the prayer of St. Michael more than in a rather peculiar circumstances was introduced by Pope Leo XIII to compose this powerful prayer. After celebrating Mass one day, he was in a conference with the cardinals. Suddenly, he sank to the floor. Several doctors were, were summoned at once, but found no sign of a pulse. The very life seemed to have ebbed away from the fragile and aging body. Suddenly, he recovered and said, What a horrible vision I had been shown. He saw the ages to come, the seductive powers and ravings of the devils against the church in every land. But St. Michael appeared in the moment of greatest distress and cast Satan and his cohorts back into the abyss of hell. Such was the occasion that caused Pope Leo XIII to prescribe this prayer for the universal church. In this vision, he saw that the devil appeared before God and bargained with God. Why God would do this, I don't know. Find out when I get there, I suppose. But anyway, he bargained with God to um, have time to prove to God that people would not remain faithful. And this frightened uh, Pope Leo to the point where he composes the prayer, which we say after Mass in most dioceses now, and we say at the close of our our program. So, Bob? We're going to stop here and take a break, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and CatholicSpiritRadio.com. Why should we attend Mass? Where do we find the Mass in the Bible? For the answers to these questions and more, join Catholic Spirit Radio for its next Bible study about the Second Coming, the Bible, and the Mass. This 10-lesson video study features Scott Hahn and begins Thursday, October 12th at 6.30 p.m. The material fee is $25. Register by September 30th for in-person or Zoom participation. Contact Tony at 309-750-9062. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone, while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. There's a new app, so Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free. New app, same quality programs. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break, and my wife gave a very good talk, I thought. It was very, very interesting on uh, the angels, and uh, it is, of course, the feast uh, of the archangels coming up here next week, and uh, angels are very interesting creatures. And we're going to talk just a little bit more about angels. I have a book here written by Peter Kreft, it's called Angels and Demons. It's a small book, and it's very, very interesting. It's a question-and-answer book all about angels and demons. What do we really know about them? It's by Ignatius Press, and uh, it's Peter Kreft again. That's K-R-E-E-F-T, and uh, it's a book that's well worth getting, and it's easy to read. And, and so I'm going to read a little bit from it and talk a little bit more about uh, the angels and uh a lot of people nowadays, I think, uh, because of uh, naturalism and the whole idea of the uh, materialism of science, think that all of these things are just superstitions. So we're going to ask a few questions about the angels and see if we can arrive at uh, a few more answers about them. And uh, if there's any questions uh, that you have, Lynn, or any comments you want to make from anything that you've read, I mean, you did a very good job on this program in the beginning. Just feel free to jump right in on it. Uh, so the question I'm going to ask here and see if we can answer is, how do we know anything about angels? And is it all just our imagination? I mean, are angels just uh, sort of like fairy tale stories? And uh, I think we can uh, clear this up and come to a little bit more definite conclusions about angels. And uh, Peter Kreft does a very good job of that in his book, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, but the fact is, is that, uh, is it just our imagination? And Peter Kreft says, no, it isn't. Angel, angelology is a science, though not an empirical science. It's uses, it uses an essentially scientific method, gathering data and formulating theories to explain the data. 
the theories are controlled by the data. Of course, it's not laboratory data. Different sciences have different data. History, mathematics, and textual criticism are all sciences, but none of them have laboratory data either. The data about angels come from two sources, the Bible and human experience, accounts of people meeting angels. Accepting the Bible as data requires faith, of course, but so does accepting any data. Accepting the thousands of published uh, accounts or millions of unpublished accounts of people meeting angels also means faith. Faith not in God, but in humanity this time. It is a faith that should be critically questioned and evaluated, of course, but the beginning is faith. Accepting old documents as data is the historian's faith. And this faith also should be critically questioned and evaluated. Accepting a text as data to interpret is a kind of faith. Even believing in the validity of the human reason and trusting the innate programming of the computers in our brain is faith, a faith that is presupposed in mathematics. After all, if an evil spirit or blind chance programmed our computers, why would we trust them? If our brains were not designed by God, but by Satan or by no one, why should we trust them? Would you trust a computer programmed by randomly throwing marbles at its keyboard? Angelology has data, and its theories are justified by its data. For instance, the traditional theory of angels, which I will try to explain and defend in this book, says that angels are, one, creatures of God, two, bodiless spirits, three, with intelligence, four, and will— five, who live in God's presence in heaven, six, obey his will, seven, carry his messages, angel actually means messenger, eight, assume bodies as we assume costumes, nine, influence our imagination, ten, but not our free will, and move material things supernaturally. If any one of the points in the theory were false, the data would be different. That is the justification for the theory. For instance, if angels could not assume bodies, they could not eat. However, in Scripture, they do on occasion eat. See Genesis 19.3. Therefore, they can assume bodies. The only reason people today are much more suspicious of angelology than in any previous time or place or culture is naturalism, the philosophy that denies the supernatural. Can you prove the reality of the supernatural? Well, Kreft answers, even if I can't, you also can't prove its non-existence. Naturalism cannot be proved. How could the fish in a little fishbowl prove that there is no world outside that fishbowl? How could an unborn baby prove there is no life outside the womb? How could man, bound to nature, prove there is nothing in addition to nature? You can't prove a universal negative, that there is no X anywhere, unless, of course, X is self-contradictory, like a round square. For to prove that there is no X anywhere, you would have to look everywhere, and only God can do that. I think we can prove the reality of the supernatural, but we must first divine supernatural. 
Let's not define supernatural so narrowly that it means only the occult or the mystical, things you'd read about in the metaphysics section of a California bookstore. That's a radical misunderstanding of the meaning of metaphysics. By the way, metaphysics means the philosophy of being or thinking about the laws and principles that apply to everything, not just about the magical or even the supernatural. Let's also not define supernatural so broadly that it means anything that makes us wonder, like sunsets or babies or Juliet. Supernatural means more than natural, so we must first define nature and natural. What nature means most of the time to most people today is the universe, the space-time continuum that contains all the matter that exists, all the stuff that began some 12 to 18 billion years ago in the Big Bang. What most people mean by God, then, is supernatural. The pagan gods were not supernatural. They were parts of nature. For instance, Zeus lived on Mount Olympus, or in the sky, or above it. Poseidon lived in the sea. But God is not in one part of nature. He created it. So if you can prove the existence of God, you can then prove the existence of the supernatural. And you can prove the existence of God. There are at least a dozen, perhaps two dozen, good arguments for the existence of God. If you really want to explore them, a short and simple summary can be found in the book Handbook of Christian Apologetics. Again, that's Handbook of Christian Apologetics by Kreft and Tocelli. And that is a very, very good book, and I highly recommend if you can get it. That's Handbook of Christian Apologetics, and that's by Peter Kreft and uh, a man by the last name of, of Ticelli. I've, I've forgotten his first name now. It says, an even shorter and simpler summary is in my, and this is Peter Kreft's, Fundamentals of the Faith, and an even simpler one in Yes or No, and those two books are also by Peter Kreft. If you can approve the existence of the supernatural, then there is a place for angels, a category for them to inhabit. And another book that is a very good book on proving the existence of God uh, is a book by Edward Faser, and that's spelled F-E-S-E-R, and that's called The Last Superstition by Edward Faser. And if you can get hold of that book, it's a very, very good explanation of philosophy and also of uh, the fact that logically you can come to the conclusion that there must be a God. And Phaser does an extremely good job of talking about this, and it's a very readable book. He's got a very good style, and he's an excellent philosopher. And uh, you'll learn a lot about philosophy as well. And then this goes on. It says, uh, according to uh, Edward, I mean, according to Peter Kreft, he says, I also highly recommend C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles, which begins by logically refuting naturalism. Summarize, the argument is this. If only nature exists, then when I think and reason and prove things, the only thing that's happening is that atoms are moving in my brain because other atoms push them. Human reason is then caused only by nature by the sum total of all the material events from the Big Bang through evolution 
to photons of light, stimulating my optic nerve to send electrical charges to my brain now. So why should I trust my reasoning then if it is caused by nothing but blind, unintelligent material forces? And it's a very good argument. In other words, if we are simply a product of the natural and material world that we see around us, then all of the things in that natural material world are simply moved by the natural forces that exist. Electric forces, uh, the strong and weak forces and atoms and so forth, moved by gravity and by other things. And so whatever we think is simply caused by all of these events happening. In other words, we're just a, a bunch of material, atoms, electrical impulses and so forth walking around and whatever we see and talk about and so forth and everything, we don't really and can't even prove then that it even exists. I mean, we're nothing but a bunch of uh, random electrical forces. And so how could we possibly trust our brains to arrive at any kind of logical conclusions? We wouldn't know really that two and two is four. I mean, we might think that, but our thinking is just nothing but a bunch of nerves and stuff and uh, various uh, firings going on. And if that's the case, then there's no point really in talking about anything because we have no idea that if anything we talk about do or anything else makes any sense at all. So, again, why should I trust my reasoning if it is caused by nothing but blind, unintelligent material forces? And, of course, that's one of the problems with AI, where people are so worried about artificial intelligence. Well, I can tell you there is no such thing. I mean, there are very, very sophisticated computers but all of them are programmed by people, and uh, they're electrical impulses that lack the will. They can't really do or initiate anything on their own. All of what they do is controlled by algorithms that are programmed into them by, by human programmers. No matter how complex you make them, you can make them so complex you could forget actually all of the various things that they do or will do. But nevertheless, they're simply programmed, and that's that. And you can't get away from it. They can't make, uh, they have um, mechanical parts, uh, material parts that work like electronic electrons and so forth moving around, but they do not have any independent will. They do not have a real mind. And that's the difference between a brain and, you know, and uh, a brain may work by all kinds of electrical impulses, but the mind is far above that. It has intelligibility in the sense that it has will and uh, intent. Uh, Yes, that um, artificial intelligence kind of screwed up this past week when it lost one of our airplanes. Yes, in Carolinas. It also screwed up out of whatever it is. It's a fire. You're right, exactly. And it also screwed up, Lynn, out in uh, Austin, Texas. It caused, I think there and somewhere else, it causes huge traffic jams. I mean, they had uh, driverless cars, and those cars got into situations in which they were there was no algorithm programmed into them for that particular situation. And since there's no will, and they, all they could do is go from one algorithm to the next, running through the programs that they had, none of those programs worked, and so the cars simply shut down and blocked traffic. And people couldn't get around the cars, and there was thousands of cars blocked up in traffic and, and during the rush hour. 
And on top of that, when the police came, <laughs> they were trying to give tickets to a car without a driver, and the police didn't know what to do. What could you do except call a wrecker and, and tow them out of the way? Because they simply couldn't cope with the situation that they weren't programmed for because they don't have the intent and will that a human being has, or even a cat has, or a mouse, for that matter, and that is imbued right. with life. And life is entirely different than a mechanical robot. And the Carolinas, can you imagine being the 911 operator who gets a call from a guy saying that a military pilot has just parachuted into his backyard and he needs help? Yeah, that would be, you'd wonder if the guy was drunk on drugs or if this was some kind of grotesque joke. You know, was he making of course, I don't know what those those operators have to take things seriously. I guess, but yeah, and they, you know, and the pilot doesn't know where the plane is. Yeah, and say, <laughs> I can <of> imagine. <laughs> can you imagine the man coming out in the backyard? The guy says, "I'm a pilot," and the guy's saying, "Where's your plane?" And the pilot says, "I don't know. I lost it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And nobody, nobody else could find it either. It took them quite a while before yeah, they find that plane. Well, they found the plane. So, and that was all they were testing the AI, artificial intelligence. Exactly, and they'll improve on it. I'm not saying AI, and we can call it AI. And uh, certainly, but it doesn't have the ability to think. No, it has because it doesn't have intentionality. It doesn't have well. It doesn't have a mind. A mind is, of course, not material. Your brain is material. There may be electrical impulses moving through it, but your mind is not material, and mind can't come from material because I've said this before. Let's say you had a whole bunch of blocks, and the blocks were blue, and they were blue all the way through from the outside to the inside. And you had millions of them. No matter how you arrange those blocks, no matter how many shapes you made out of them, no matter how many complex things you could make out of them. And then, so let's say those blocks would uh, respond to electrical charges. And then you run electrical charges through them. Electrons are similarly like the blocks. They just are material. And the blocks jump all around and do all kinds of crazy things and crazy patterns. Would you get red out of those blocks? No. And no matter what you do, you will not get red out of it because there is no red in those blocks. And the same thing, there is no will. There is no mind. There is no intent in material. Material can't think, and it can't will, and it can't intend. And no matter how complex you make it, no matter how complex you make those blue blocks, they are not going to have red. And no matter how complex you make material, you can put it together in a million, trillion, trillion different ways. It does not have mind. It does not have intent. It does intent. It does not have will. Those things are not material, and it can't have those. And so, so if the blue doesn't have red, it's simply there isn't going to be any there no matter what you do or how complex you make it. In the same sense, no matter how complex you make a computer that runs on material, electrical impulses, and so forth, that material is simply not going to have will, and it's not going to have intent because they don't exist in material and no matter how complex you put it together, you can't get it. You can't get blood out of a turnip, you know. <laughs> and you, you, True. It's as simple as that. So we're going to have to stop here and take a break. 
but there is no such thing as artificial intelligence because the definition of intelligence contains mind, which is non-material, and material simply is not non-material, and you're not going to get something you know, from nothing. From nothing, nothing can come. So we're going to have to stop here and take a break. Stay with us. We'll write back. We'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit more about the fact that angels are not just figments of our imagination. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks. Others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and CatholicSpiritRadio.com. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent Consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback. That Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in blooming to normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. There's a new app! So Catholic Spirit Radio listeners with new phones, tablets, and other listening devices can also listen to our programs and podcasts. Go to your Google Play or Apple App Store to find the app Catholic Spirit Talk Radio. It's free! New app, same quality programs. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Are you sure you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, there's only two answers, no or yes. If you say yes, who told you that? Secondly, church teaching. You may struggle to hear this, but the Catholic Church, the unwavering fortress of the truth, has taught you this. Between 105 and 250 AD, we have the writings of Ignatius, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, and Tertullian. They laid the groundwork and they battled 
heresy for you to believe in the truthfulness of this virgin birth. And thirdly, my pesky comeback. The Bible told me so. No, don't let that be your answer. Spurgeon, Finney, Calvin, and Luther are not correct answers either. From the top, here's how it all happened. The Holy Spirit revealed it to Gabriel. Gabriel revealed it to Mary. And Luke's work, by the power of the Holy Spirit, revealed it to the church. So the correct answer is, yep, the Catholic Church. Don't fight it. Join us. Find me on Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. Uh, we have been talking about angels, my wife and I, and uh, I'm going to turn this back over, this last segment, back over to Lynn for a little while. She has more to say about angels, and then we'll see if we can talk a little bit more about why angels are not simply a figment of our imagination. So I'll let you go ahead and take it from here, Lynn. Okay, and by the way, I like Peter Kraft's and his writings. They're easy to read. They really are. But I wanted to quote St. Augustine, and I'm quoting from the Catechism of the Catholic Church about angels. Angel is the name of their office, not their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it's spirit. If you seek the name of their office, it's angel. From what they are, spirit. From what they do, angels. It's hard to keep that. It's. I think it's hard for us lowly humans to even have this concept. How can a spirit have this intentionality, this free will to have feelings and so forth? It's just hard to con- conceive this in our minds. But keep in mind, They've been around since the beginning, since the creation. They're one of the first things that God created. They they were present and protected Lot during the period of Sodom and Gomorrah. They saved Hagar and her child, stayed Abraham's hand, and communicated the law by their ministry. They led the people of God through many battles in the Old Testament, you can see where uh, there was an army of angels to protect uh, the the Jewish warriors when they first crossed into the Promised Land, right in there. The prophets used to cite a few examples. Uh, the prophets also were guided and protected by the angels. And then, of course, Gabriel announced the birth of the Savior himself. The end of our life, the church asks during the liturgy, may the angels lead you into paradise. Moreover, in the Byzantine liturgy, she celebrates the memory of certain angels more particularly. And so do we in the Western church. We recognize Michael, Gabriel, and St. Raphael. That I just wanted to get in, Bob. I... I think it goes along with what Kraft said. Oh, it does. No, no doubt about it. Again, I'll just emphasize that uh, the fact is is that if there is no such thing as a supernatural, uh, if, you know, if there's no supernatural mind, if uh, my material brain is not moved by or in touch with or aware of any superior spirit or mind, however many material means and intermediaries uh, he may use, then I have destroyed the credentials of my thinking. 
including the very act of skeptical thinking. In other words, if all I am is nothing but material and material impulses, I can't help help how my tongue happens to wag. I mean, it wags whatever way those material impulses make it wag. And my mind does whatever those material impulses make it do. I have no will. <laughs> then right. I think a certain thing is true only because atoms and wind and weather and digestion and electricity have necessitated it. Not because a wise and good father God is teaching his children through many maternal uh, intermediaries or many material intermediaries as a teacher teaches students through blackboards and books. If there's no supernatural, then science is like listening to a broadcast of the news when there's no broadcaster, no one on the other end. The television set like and the wires. No airplane. Right. I don't know where it went. <laughs> right. The television set and the wires are like the universe and our bodies and senses, the means of communication. God is like the broadcaster. Would you pay attention if you thought the broadcaster just happened and there was nobody there? If only the wind, the weather, and whatever atoms and lightning and so forth happened to be moving around caused all of the, the things in your mind to be happening? Would you believe your own mind? Of course you would. No, no. Would you pay attention to your own thinking if you believed it was nothing but an inevitable echoes of the evolutionary belch of the primordial slime? And that's all it was? No. No. And to we change. need to keep in mind nothing exists that does not owe its existence to God. Exactly. And the angels belong to God. Exactly. And to, he wills, God wills the interdependence of the creatures that he has created. Exactly. And then our mind is in touch with the mind of God or we wouldn't have a mind in the first place. To change the analogy... Suppose you came to believe that your friends were only machines. Would you still think it rational to trust them, to believe them? Suppose they were dead bodies without souls, without minds. <clears throat> but somehow they kept moving and speaking, even though they were dead. Would you trust them to tell you the truth? Sometimes corpses move or sit up or even belch because the muscles are relaxing or because there is something like residual electrical energy left in them, like the ghost image on a television screen after you turn the set off. Suppose there was enough energy in a corpse to make the lungs and the tongue move to make the sound God is. Would that justify your believing that God is? Of course not. But that's the way things are if naturalism is true and there is no God teaching us and no image of God, no rational soul, no immaterial spirit in us controlling our brain, commanding our body, receiving and interpreting and understanding the teaching. In other words, if all your mind is and all your body is, is simply a bunch of electrical reactions, then you're simply like one of those dead people walking around, you know, by the movement of the muscles still moving and so forth. Right, and that does happen in death. Yes, it does. It kind of scares some people sometimes. Then there's no no real eye, you know. There's mm -hmm. a, yeah, it would scare people. I mean, uh, yeah. there's stories in uh, the corpse. Once the death occurs, sometimes the body will be ridding of its the oxygen from the lungs, and you think, "Is they trying to talk? What are they trying to do?" Yeah, there's this this waste area in New Jersey, I believe it is. Uh, I forget what they call it now. There's a name for it. 
but it's uh, sand dunes and so forth and pine trees. I think I think the pine, the pine barrens. I think it's called the pine barrens of New Jersey, and it's all full of sand and uh, pine, so forth. And their roads around in there are very confusing. They go in circles and so forth. You can get lost real easy. And the mob used to bury, you know. Uh, their enemies there, you know, if they shot somebody or killed somebody, a lot of times they would go into that place and they would bury the corpses. People would drive in there and get lost and walk around. And sometimes these corpses would actually <laughs> sort of <laughs> bend up out of the sand, you know, out of just the, the corpse, some, you know, the muscles still moving or whatever as they, they dried out and so forth. And yeah, then, they could drag. Right, and people would be horrified. I mean, this would happen. This happened in a number of cases. And there was, you know, legends came up about the the Pine Barrens there in New Jersey. That's where some kind of uh, the, the Jersey devil lived and so forth and everything. And all kinds of stories grew up all around it. And uh, a lot of it was just the, the mobs, you know, burying their, their uh, murdered people there. So. Right, that happened during the Civil War on the battlefields. Too. Yes, it did. did. Uh, the and battle. I imagine in all wars, the Battle of the Wilderness, uh, when uh, Grant moved his army uh, into uh, across the Potomac River into uh, Virginia, there was an area called the Wilderness that had not been, in, you know, uh, civilized in any way yet. And uh, there was a battle there prior to the time that Grant moved his army through there. And uh, when he went there, Lee came back, of course, and opposed him in that wilderness. And there were people buried all over in the area they were fighting that had been buried there, you know, a year or so before. And those bodies, it started raining. And as the rain, the, the, the area was rocky and sandy. And so the soldiers that died there were buried very in very shallow graves. And, of course, the sand, the rain and so forth started washing them out. And soldiers would be crawling around the ground and corpses would actually sit up out of that sand and so forth and horrify both sides, you know, with the, with the horror of seeing a corpse suddenly rise up, you know, just bend up out of the ground and in your face and so forth. It was pretty grotesque. So that yeah, kind of would be. But uh, at any rate, that's the whole point. The point is, is that uh, I think it was, it was one of the pagan poets. I can't remember his name. I always forget his name. I'm going to look it up sometime again. That said, you know, uh, believed in God and said, in him we live and move and have our being. And Paul picked up that saying from that poet, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a pagan that actually, when Paul says, you know, in God we live and move and have our being, he actually took that saying from a a, a pagan, and uh, I don't know if the pagan poet was alive at the time that Paul lived, probably not, probably he was someone Paul was quoting that, uh, you know, said that in an earlier time. But uh, Paul used it to describe, in other words, our minds are in touch, in effect, with the mind of God because our minds are not material. Our minds have to be above the material, which would, be, would mean supernatural, you know, above the natural. And that's what supernatural means. And there has to be something above the natural or the natural really couldn't exist with, with any kind of sense or reason. But the world is reasonable. We can figure it out. It has laws and so forth. Well, we call them laws. They're scientific principles. And uh, it wouldn't be that way. It would simply be random. And uh, there would be nothing but randomness if there weren't some kind of a, 
uh, an organization to it. And that has to be above the natural. So it's not at all superstitious to believe in angels, but it certainly is supernatural because there is, if there wasn't something supernatural, then our minds are simply whatever the, whichever the way the wind blows. Anything more you want to say on that? No. Okay. He goes on here, uh, Krept, and he says, uh, is the supernatural unscientific? He says, yes, it's, you can't prove it, but it's not anti-scientific because science can't disprove it either. All the reasoning about all the observations of all the events within the system of nature can't disprove something outside of nature, something other than nature. Nothing a baby bird inside an egg hears or feels or thinks can disprove the world outside the egg. How could it? There are many things that are unscientific, but not anti-scientific. Things science can't prove, but science can't disprove either. And he goes on. Uh, things that everyone accepts, like beauty and love and morality and the presence of a self and I in the body. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with being unscientific. If angels cause changes in nature, if angels can stop a speeding cat in two seconds or appear and disappear in bodies, then the human senses can detect their effects, like footprints in the sand. But the cause is invisible, since angels are pure spirits. Science cannot observe angels. They don't reflect light. And there are even things in science that we can't detect. For example, there are particles and so forth, you know, that we, we talk about. Scientists talk about all kinds of particles, muons, you know, and quarks and so forth. Uh, tiny little particles that are, are parts of atoms and even smaller than parts of atoms and so forth, smaller and smaller. They don't see these things. If people think that they actually see a quark or a muon or whatever, you know, some of the names that these things are given, the people that think that are wrong. They never see any of these things. They see the effects of these things. They whirl these things around in cyclotrons, and then these things are thrown through various substances, sort of like jelly-type substances and so forth, and uh, fluid substances. And then they look at the trails that these particles leave, and then they deduce what the particles are like from those trails that they can see, but they never see the particles. So, so we can deduce you know, the fact that angels are operating from the effects that we see. And so there isn't anything strange about believing in the supernatural or anything strange about believing in angels. But there sure is a lot strange about not believing any of those things. Because if you don't, then what you're saying is my mind is nothing but a bunch of particles bouncing around inside of a, a big hollow sphere. And uh, wherever those particles happen to bounce or land, that's whatever my thinking is. And if that's the case, then none of us really can can think anything that's uh, anything near what we would call truth. So that's where we are. At any rate, I think uh, there, there's plenty enough evidence uh, to prove the existence of angels and the supernatural, and there's plenty enough evidence to prove the existence of God. In fact, more evidence and more logic than even simply deducing what the particular particles that scientists deduce are. And scientists take all of these things on faith. They look at the trails of these particles, and they take take it for granted that the particles are really there. There's no way of proving that they are, 
but they take it for granted. Scientists take for granted that their minds are working properly. They take for granted that what they're looking at is real. They take all kinds of things for granted. And ladies and gentlemen, that is called faith. And so when we have faith in God and faith in angels, there is nothing strange about it at all. In fact, if we don't have faith in those things, that's what's really strange. It's not logical to believe in God or angels, but it's illogical not to believe in the supernatural. It's true. A, Very true. It's a Isn't sim- what Mother uh, Angelica said? Faith is lifting your foot and taking a step, not knowing where it's going to go, mm-hmm. but trusting that it will be for the good. Well, we trust that it will because we trust our senses and we trust the universe and we assume that uh, that there's a rhyme and a reason to all of the things that we see around us, that we are real, that our friends and so forth are also real, that their minds are working okay, and our eyes are seeing what, what's real. And we have to take all of that for granted because if we don't, then we're nothing again but a bunch of, we're like those cars that we call artificial, with artificial intelligence. They can do all the things the algorithms say, but they can't make a decision. They can't sit there and take in information and readjust it in a new and willful way to do something other outside of what they've been programmed for. And so that's the during difference. this week, please read Tobit in your Bible. It's an adventure that you'll really enjoy. It's just as good as reading about David and Goliath. And remember out there that there is we're on a huge battlefield. And boy, are we fighting it ever today. Take a look around the forces that we're fighting today, uh, the forces of destruction, the forces of irrationalism, the forces of minds divorced from God. That's what we're seeing all around us today. And we're in a war, and we're fighting that war. And we're fighting that war not by ourselves, but remember always, on that battlefield there are a whole infinite number of angels that are fighting with us and on our side against the forces of the demons and so forth that are trying to turn the world not into something reasonable and rational because reason divorced from religion and from God is not reasonable or rational at all. And remember that those angels are fighting with us on that battlefield, and they're just as real, they're sitting next to you, and everybody has a guardian angel as well. So we'll go ahead and stop there and say our prayer. St. Michael, Michael, the archangel, archangel, defend defend us in battle. battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. (coughs) May God rebuke him, we humbly Humbly pray. pray. And And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the the power power of God, God, thrust into hell Satan and all evil evil spirits who wander through the world for the ruin of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio 